You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. The Torah offers not only the common way of sacrifice, but also, if you look for it, there are subtle challenges to the way of sacrifice. Both narratives of sacrifice and narratives of anti-sacrifice are found there. We have to ask which path is life-giving for uh, a community and which is not. Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 350. Our title this week is No More Sacrifice. Now, before we get started, I want to take a minute and talk about Giving Tuesday this year. Next week being the, the holiday week, Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., there won't be a podcast being released or published next Friday. So the, this is the last opportunity I have to, to speak with you, the only opportunity I'll have this this year to speak with our all of our listeners. Uh, giving Tuesday is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. It's a global day of giving where we uh, begin the holiday season with uh, uh, actually this year the holiday season has begun already for for many faiths but um, uh, uh, we kick off the the season typically uh, like with Black Friday and Cyber Monday with Giving Tuesday it's a day for you to 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 come together and be able to support your favorite nonprofits nonprofits that you see doing concrete work uh, to make the world a better place uh, around the globe and 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 this year we have a special opportunity. Uh, a few of our donors have gotten together and they've pledged to match all donations made to Renewed Heart Ministries on Tuesday, December 1st, that Giving Tuesday 2020. This year being, uh, uh, I know many nonprofits uh, have gone through this as well. It's been a challenging year with COVID, the pandemic and all that's been taking place. Uh, it's, it's, we've survived, but it's it's been a, a challenge. So if, if you've been blessed by Renewed Heart Ministries this year, I want to make a special plea to you. Every amount helps. It doesn't matter how big or or how small. Uh, On December 1st, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and make a donation on that special day, Giving Tuesday 2020. And and that donation, uh, your support, will go twice as far. It'll be matched and it'll help us reach our operating budget uh, this year, 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, As you know, many of our seminars have not taken place this year because of travel. And we do our seminars for free, but that's also a, a source of, of love offerings and, and those types of support that, that we just haven't had this year. Uh, so to make up that difference, please consider uh, making a special gift to Renewed Heart Ministries this year. Again, that's December 1st uh, to the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, Giving Tuesday. And on that day, just go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. And thank all of you who are sustaining us right now. Thank you to to all of our donors who are helping us through this this difficult time. It's a unique time, and uh, uh, we'll survive it. But uh, uh, we'll look back and and uh, and see all of the the good things that have happened during this time, but also all the challenging things that have happened this time. We've learned a lot, and and we're going to be a more efficient ministry as we go go forward. But again, uh, if you've been blessed by our work this year. Uh, please consider 
offering us your support. No more sacrifice this week. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uh, tells his questioners, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's in Matthew 9, 13. What does sacrifice mean? Not religiously, but sociologically. As we discussed in a a community of the rejected, anthropologists have long recognized a pattern throughout human civilizations. When a society's unity and cohesiveness begins to to pull apart, when when competition and rivalry begin to threaten the health and longevity of, uh, of that society, a mysterious but very predictable phenomenon occurs. The society will will choose to turn on its most vulnerable members, individuals, uh, it could be uh, groups, uh, and what the society does is it blames them for the tension and the trouble that it's beginning to encounter. And according to French historian and anthropological philosopher René Girard, once a society finds its scapegoat, unity is quickly restored because everyone now coalesces around a, a common enemy. Tensions and, and, and trouble that were threatening <clears throat> the social cohesiveness, it begins to evaporate into thin air. And, and, and previous enemies, they can actually even become friends as they unite together around othering a separate group or, or, or another person. The, the community... It then expels this group or this person either by sending them away or even uh, by executing them via the the angry mob. And then life for the community goes on as usual. But remember, before too long, the that that. The, those tensions that, that once plagued the group through their rivalry uh, with one another, those resurface and, and a new sacrifice is then required. The unity that comes through sacrifice of a, of a common enemy, it's always temporary and it has to be continually rekindled. And this is where many anthropologists believe that religion was born. Rather than finding another victim to scapegoat, elders within a society, they sought to recreate and relive that first sacrifice through ritual rather than repeatedly finding a common enemy in real life. They, they either used another person to serve as a, a human sacrifice in some ancient religions, or they reenacted the historical event with an animal. In either case, the community unified around celebrating their sacred historical victory over the group or the person in their past that they believed was their enemy. And and, and it becomes memorialized. Remember that in reality, the original victim was never truly guilty and was only perceived as guilty by the angry mob. So the sacrifice in human history, uh, human sacrifice or sacrifice in general, was born. Ritual animals led to ritual human, which leads to actual human. And this way of sacrifice was taught and reversed in both the Hebrew and the Christian sacred text. Both are present in the in the sacred text. So we have to choose which principle we'll organize our societies by, either sacrifice 
or, or mercy. And the Jesus story encourages us to follow the path found in, in the Hebrew prophets of mercy instead of sacrifice. Hosea 6.6 6 said, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And from the innocence of Abel, who was the, the nomadic herdsman who was slain by his brother Cain, the tiller of the soil. Uh, remember we talked about how he fits into scapegoating and, and that story fits into scapegoating and enough for us all. All the way down to Zechariah the prophet, we find narratives in the scriptures of both the Christian and, and Jewish people that could cure humanity's need for sacrificing others. So let's take a look at the Jesus story this week. Twice in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew 9, 13, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and in Matthew 12, 7. Now watch what he does in Matthew 12, 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Matthew 12 goes further than Matthew 9 by saying that if, if Jesus' audience had understood that sacrifice is not of divine origin, we would not have condemned the innocent. Once sacrifice becomes ritualized and religious, in other words, once that takes place, people believe that, that God or, or the gods demanded and required this sacrifice to be done. As Jesus followers, we must refute the, the idea that sacrifice is demanded by a divine being. Jesus read his own Jewish sacred narratives in such a way that he concluded that sacrifice is not divine, but but faulty or from a human uh, 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 addition. And I believe we have evidence that, that Jesus taught that the God of the Hebrews had never required sacrifice, but had always been seeking to lead humanity away from sacrifice. Consider the following passage, and these, including the one that Jesus actually quotes. This is this is Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Isaiah 1, 11 through 12, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear me, who asked this from your hand. And consider that last question. Isaiah's God implies that the origins of the sacrificial practice are not found in divine requirement. Who asked you to even do this? The test is asking. In Psalms 40, verse 6, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Jeremiah challenges these practices too. In Jeremiah 7, 22, for in the day that I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to them or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, this passage from Jeremiah is extremely puzzling because it contradicts the entire book of Leviticus. In Leviticus, God did command the children of Israel to make burnt offerings and sacrifices. So how can Jeremiah's God say that he didn't? And the answer, I believe, can be possibly found in Leviticus 17.7. In Leviticus 17.7, it says, so that they may no longer offer their sacrifices for goat demons to whom they prostitute themselves. The Hebrews 
Like the surrounding societies they lived alongside, they seem to have already been practicing sacrifice when they came out of Egypt. Archaeology shows that Egyptian sanctuaries even had a dual apartment structure of a holy and a most holy place like that the Hebrew sanctuary and temple did. And the sociological trajectory is that the, the ritual animal, remember, it leads to a ritual human and then to an actual human. And this pattern, it was not only present in the Canaanite cultures of that time, I would argue it was present in the cultures of, of, of that day in general. So the, the Torah offers not only the common way of sacrifice, but also if you look for it, there are subtle challenges to the way of sacrifice. Both narratives of sacrifice and narratives of anti-sacrifice are found there. We have to ask which path is life-giving for a community and which is not. There are competing narratives within the Christian sacred text as well. Hebrews 10.5 says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And some will ask, well, didn't God originate sacrifice in the the Genesis narratives? And it is true that Cain and Abel made sacrifices, but that only proves that it was common. When Cain departs after killing Abel, uh, the earth is characterized as well populated. In, in, in Genesis 4.14 and Genesis 4.16-17, you already see a well populated earth by that time. But there's not a single verse where God originates or commands originally uh, a sacrifice in Genesis. And others will say, well, didn't God make clothing for Adam and Eve out of animal skins. That's in the story. Yeah, absolutely. But the the types of animals that one skins to produce clothing are not the animals typically used in ritual sacrifice. You wouldn't sacrifice a lamb to get wool for clothing. You'd just shear it. You'd shave it simply. In other words, there's no intrinsic connection between ritual sacrifice and the production of clothing. One does not imply the other. And finally, some may wonder, what about God's acceptance of Abel's sacrifice or God's rejection of Cain's sacrifice. And as we discussed briefly in Enough for Us All, much is missed when we read those stories from our context rather than from the context of the original audience. The story was originally told in the context of of Mesopotamian landowners and, and nomadic herdsmen, and the tillers of the ground were in positions of privilege in that society privilege and power. For agricultural reasons, they looked at at land very differently than the nomadic herdsmen did. The herdsmen believed that the land belonged to to everyone and, and it was not to be privately owned. Being nomadic, they were also the the weaker of the two. The tillers of the ground had more permanent settlement, and and they were they were thus stronger. They oppressed those migrant nomadic herdsmen as intruders on their property. In the Cain and Abel narrative, God takes the side of the oppressed, cursing the ground for Cain's sake and turning him from a tiller of the ground into a nomadic wanderer, so that he can learn to view life through the lens of the marginalized. And those who claim that God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it contained blood and Cain's didn't should remember that Cain's sacrifice would have been completely acceptable under Levitical rules for for grain and wine and food offerings. These didn't involve blood either. The story of Cain and Abel was not a matter of blood being required by God who who demanded sacrifice. Their, Their story 
is about the, the way of mercy rather than sacrifice. And this is a story concerning, remember, liberation from oppression, ritual and sociological sacrifice and, and societies being founded on the way of mercy rather than that sacrifice or, or that mutual hatred for a common uh, enemy. The Hebrew sacred text, it includes a trajectory I believe, that reverses the common sacrificial story. A, people are called from ritual human sacrifice to ritual animal sacrifice. Then B, the Hebrew prophets call for a movement away from even animal sacrifice. And then in C, Jesus concludes this prophetic trajectory in the Gospels by calling his society away from sacrifice to the way of mercy. Eventually, the Jewish people had to abandon animal sacrifices by necessity when they lost their temple in 70 CE. Yet there was, and this is what I want to talk about here in the end, there was a social transformation that also accompanied this ritual transition. And Karen Armstrong, in her book, The Beginnings of Our, or The Great Transformation, The Beginnings of Our Religious Traditions, uh, she explains this. And this is rather lengthy, but it's worth it. She writes, But the most progressive Jews in Palestine were the Pharisees of the school of Hillel, who developed some of the most inclusive and advanced spiritualities of the Jewish axial age. They believed that the whole of Israel was called to be a holy nation of priests and that God could be experienced in the humblest home as well as in the temple. He was present in the smallest details of daily life, and Jews could approach him without elaborate ritual. They could atone for their sins by acts of loving kindness rather than animal sacrifice. Charity was the most important commandment of the law. In rabbinic Judaism, the Jewish axial age came of age. The golden rule, compassion, and loving kindness were central to this new Judaism. By the time the temple had been destroyed, some of the Pharisees already understood that they did not need a temple to worship God, as this Talmudic story makes clear. It happened that Rabbi Johanan ben Zakkai went out from Jerusalem, and Rabbi Joshua followed him and saw the burnt ruins of the temple. And he said, Woe is it that the place where the sins of Israel Israel find atonement is laid waste. Then Rabbi Johanan said, Grieve not, we have an atonement equal to the temple, the doing of loving deeds. As it is said, I desire love, not sacrifice. Kindness was the key to the future. Jews must turn away from the violence and divisiveness of the war years and create a united community with one body and one soul. When the community was integrated in love and mutual respect, God was with them. But when they quarreled with one another, uh, he returned to heaven, where the angels chanted with one voice and one melody. When two or three Jews sat and studied harmoniously together, the divine presence sat in their midst. Uh, midst. Rabbi Akiva, who was killed by the Romans in 132 CE, taught that the commandment, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, was the great principle of the Torah, to show disrespect to any human being who had been created in God's image was seen by the rabbis as a denial of God himself and tantamount to atheism. Murder was a sacrilege. Scripture instructs us that whatsoever sheds human blood is regarded as if he had diminished the divine image. God had created only one man at the beginning of time to teach us that destroying only one human life was equivalent to annihilating the entire world, while to save a life 
redeemed the whole of humanity. To humiliate anyone, even a slave or a non-Jew, was equivalent to murder, a sacrilege defacing of God's image. I'm sorry, a sacrilegious defacing of God's image. To spread a scandalous lying story about another person was to deny the existence of God. Religion was not uh, inseparable from the practice of habitual respect to all other human beings. You could not worship God unless you practiced the golden rule and honored your fellow humans, whomever they were. Jesus modeled this same movement away from sociological sacrifice to mercy. Nonetheless, the elites embraced the way of sacrifice. They chose to unite around their fear of the social changes that Jesus' teachings would create. Those of privilege and power in the stories, they felt they had everything to lose from a more distributively just society. So they arrest Jesus in Luke twenty-two fifty-two, and those who had been previously, they'd been enemies, they unite in their desire to silence them. We find that in Luke 23, 12. And this is the way of economic, political, and sociological sacrifice. Jesus Jesus becomes the actual sociological sacrifice or the enemy around which rival enemies experienced newfound unity and friendship in the stories. The story of of his execution had all the telltale signatures of a sociological sacrifice story, including an angry mob that gets swept up in the scapegoating mechanism. Yet this is the point. The Jesus story doesn't end in yet another sacrifice of an innocent by yet another human society. We can read the Jesus story so that it's not a narrative about a cross, but that it's a a narrative about how that unjust sacrifice of crucifixion was undone, reversed, and, and, and overcome. This is a story not where death is overcome by another death, but where death dealing is overcome and reversed by life and, and life giving. The resurrection, it reversed and undid what was accomplished through the crucifixion of Jesus. This is a story, remember, that calls us to imagine a world that's founded on the way of mercy rather than sacrifice. And it's an alternative alternative way of organizing human life. And it's one that Jesus modeled and that Jesus taught. And it's a way that the Hebrew prophets called for too. It's a way that could be found in the narratives of both the texts of the Christians and, and the Jewish people. These narratives speak of a God who, rather than demanding someone's sacrifice, uh, stands in solidarity with those that are our society sacrifices. And we're called by these narratives to do the same. Heart group application this week, again, with COVID uh, cases on the rise and setting records every day, we are continuing to ask all of our heart groups not to meet together physically at this time. Stay virtually connected. Find a way through Zoom or Google Meets or or some other way where you can still get together uh, virtually and and, and yet still practice that physical distancing where you're not together indoors. Uh, When you go out, remember, keep a six-foot distance from others. Keep wearing your mask. Keep washing your hands. We've, We've got, until this vaccine becomes available to us, We've got to keep this uh, pandemic, the COVID-19, we've got to keep it at bay. So this is also a time, remember, where you can practice the resource sharing and the mutual aid that's found in the Gospels. Make sure that others in your group have what they need and, 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 and work together. Prioritize protecting 
the most vulnerable among you. So number one this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's Eastsider podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, share a story where you have witnessed this dynamic of of scapegoat-founded unity taking place in your own life. And and where where do you see that happening again Uh, today in our larger society. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, and just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today. Uh, um, Again, next week is a holiday week so here in the U.S., so we won't be releasing a podcast next Friday, but we'll be back two weeks from now. In the meantime, don't forget Giving Tuesday, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving to make your contributions to Renewed Heart Ministries to support our work, to keep us going. You can do so by simply going to renewedheartministries.com and in the upper right, clicking donate. Right where you are, keep living in love, choosing compassion, uh, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each one of you dearly. We'll see you in two weeks.